say for missing a week due to weather, there's a lot of shit that came out in just one week. <laughs> I mean, it's... Oh, yeah, we, miss... t- we take a week off and everything happens. Yeah, I mean, it just feels like there's one day where I was like, oh, there's Corella," And the next mm. day is, ah, Mortal Kombat, hey! And then the other day it's like, oh, more Snyder Cut stuff. <laughs> this <laughs> yeah, is yeah, like yeah. all over. But yeah, I guess we'll, we'll just start from the beginning with uh, Cruella. Oh, the uh, Joker for the ladies. Yeah. <laughs> Even though it's not supposed to be, but it felt like the trailer was definitely it like Yeah, that. The, the trailer definitely wasn't doing it any favors, I don't think. Isn't it kind of wild that that film, that film exists mainly because Maleficent did so well, and they basically, they had to have just gone down the list of classic Disney villains. Yeah, probably. And then, like, we probably can't do Hook, because, you know, you have to do Hook, you have to do Peter Pan, so why not just do a Peter Pan film? Yeah. You can't do Jafar because Aladdin, and they're already probably at that point slowly developing a live-action Aladdin. I mean, like, a lot of the villain films you get, it's... I mean, with Maleficent, it was kind of unnecessary, but it just kind of... It hit a nerve because of Angelina Jolie and what it was trying to do. Right. um, Which was... It wasn't like... Yeah, she was... it wasn't sexual assault in the film, but it was almost like an allegory of being a survivor of trauma. Yeah, yeah. And doing um, Sleeping Beauty again, just from her perspective. Mm-hmm. And I guess you can do that because that film is so old that you could just be yeah. like, oh, who's going to get mad at that? <laughs> I mean, it's like you do. Yeah, like, it's old. and Well, it's also like you have this kind of just arbitrarily or vaguely evil villain, yeah. you know, in the just kind of the classical way. Oh, she just, you know looks evil she acts evil she yeah. put the curse on the princess and but what is going inside that head yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. Like, that's the film with but cruella it's like how am i so... why are we <laughs> her whole her motivation whole was she wanted to skin dogs and turn them into coats not just Wasn't dogs it? puppies well, yeah yeah baby puppies. dogs <laughs> she wanted to take a whole like, why are we why are we redeeming that? she the whole time she just wants to take puppies it's also just kind it. of like yeah it's kind of like a comically simple motivation yeah. to where like what's the point of even extrapolating on that mm-hmm. and it's very weird that like in the trailer it's almost like hey she's it seems very much like they're gonna still paint her as evil but they're gonna sure. paint her as like a necessary evil well, or like a, yeah, an enemy of my enemies my friend it type could thing. do well yeah that's true and or it also could do some thing i don't think nearly as you know interesting or dare i say profound as joker but i think it'll it'll do a similar thing where it's like you know we're not justifying who she is or what she's done or what she will do but yeah here's how it happened and maybe you feel affected by mm-hmm. her journey there and it, how she got there but i just i don't care i don't want to know <laughs> yeah it's either gonna be she was poor and she hated where she came from, so she reinvents herself entirely and pretends yeah. that she's That's from a rich family. Feels like or she is from a rich family, but she was the weird one, yeah. and she wants to branch out and do her own thing. Or, yeah. or maybe it's like the, the twist is she kills her parents and gets the fortune, <laughs> but it's no one knows because it was an accident. Maybe yeah. make her more. I don't know. It's like because it's weird too because the film was directed by the director of I Tanya, which mm-hmm. I've really I really enjoyed I Tanya. Yeah. And apparently the screenwriter, or at least one of the screenwriters, I don't know how many screenwriters are on Cruella, but uh, one of the screenwriters is involved with The Favorite, which is a fantastic oh, film yeah. that I loved. Oh, yeah, that was a good movie. Um, so there's good people behind it. I mean, Emma Stone 
it's a good well, actress. Done, super talented, very likable, very charismatic. The two goofy henchmen that's with her are well casted <laughs> and have been in good films. I mean, one of them is fucking Richard Jewell, Paul Walter Hauser. Yeah. And the other one is, um, he was kind of like the comedic side relief in uh, Yesterday. Um, and he was pretty good in that, too. And you got, like, Mark Strong, you yeah. got Emma Thompson. But overall, it's just, why is this the film that they're pushing for theaters? Yeah. But, like, Raya and the Last Dragon is the one that, like, they, like, buy it on Disney Plus for $30. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, maybe they just want it to die? Maybe they just want to throw it out yeah, in the theaters they, and be like... they already made it, so let's just get rid of it. I guess so. I mean... I mean... The thing that makes me laugh is on the poster, the A and Emma Stone is like the anarchy symbol. Oh my god, as that's if right. Cruella is somehow going to be a symbol of anarchy. Yeah. It's, and it's like, just because she's the weird girl or something. It's like, no, she's she's a, you know, she's a, a bougie, you know. Yeah, she like, says, doesn't she say, I am woman, hear me roar? Something like that. Which is like a weird, like, yeah, sure, you can push a feminist angle, yeah. but this is still the woman who will later canonically be like i want more than anything in the world to skin these puppies to make a beautiful donation right right, right. well and she's yeah all about her wealth and all that yeah. and it's like she is not <laughs> she's not an anarchist let's not let's no, not throw that symbol not. around just because she's weird oh she's wacky and crazy yeah wacky wacky oh, anarchist i'm so glad the next day mortal Kombat got a trailer that was actually a really awesome trailer yes i i have very little stake in mortal Kombat. <laughs> very little interest in it um, I always thought the fatalities were kind of cool. The oh, yeah, story always seemed kind of mind-numbing. Well, that's, um, that's what's so crazy. This, this trailer doesn't seem to be like, you know, necessarily transcending the lore or the no. source material. It's very much leaning into it, but like yeah. it seems like it's going to try and, you know, take it as seriously as possible while also having as much fun with it mm -hmm. as you can do, you know, which I feel like past iterations of mortal Kombat, like the you know the 90s yeah. movie and stuff were oh. just like it was one of those where we're not going to commit hard enough to this to do anything interesting oh, with it and so oh, it just yeah. ends up being a cheesy schlocky mess that's what's so weird too is like i mean because i i absolutely love i mean i ironically and unironically the 1995 film it's yeah. paul ws anderson's best film and always will be <laughs> And it's not, it hasn't aged well in places, obviously, yeah. but, like, you know, just the fact that, like, that is the film that interconnects techno with Mortal Kombat. That was the film that gave us the theme that has lasted oh, yeah. as long as the games and will <laughs> live longer than the games probably right, will. Yeah. And it's kind of astounding watching this trailer and being like, oh, shit. Like, we don't have to worry about, because, like, now they're on Mortal Kombat 11, Yep. And 9 was the one where they're like, we're going to retcon everything and start from scratch. Yeah, start a new world. But we're going to start from scratch in a timey-wimey way where we're going to change things a little bit here and there. Right, right. And now 10 and 11 are just going to bonkers levels that are actually really fun mm -hmm. and well done, but are still just like, this is the 11th entry. And like with this film, it felt like, oh my god, it's so simple. <laughs> yeah. Like we're going back to like, because like the original, like fighting games are kind of like... They were almost like prototypes for what later video games would do for, like, you know, how Bioshock does, like, those recordings where you build the universe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, with a lot of fighting games, it was always just, like, 
there's a tournament. All these colorful cast of characters come together. Yeah, and yeah, if you yeah. read the manual, you'll see that this character hates this character. Yeah. This character or killed even, his father. Yeah, even just, just listening like, to like their little lines during yeah. the fights. Like, oh, they, yeah, they because have a like, relationship. Because Mortal or... Kombat's like they were by the third game. It's like a war. <laughs> it's like a war between realms. And it's yeah. like, oh my god, how are they going to do this in film form? And it's great that like the cast of the film is obviously, like, I don't know how much the budget is for the film, but the film felt very much like maybe mid-level budget being used well. Yeah. Because you have you have people in there that people don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the most notable face is uh, Hiroyuki Sonata playing Scorpion, who is, most people would know him as Japanese swordsman, because he's been Japanese swordsman yeah. in Westworld. He was in Avengers Endgame Endgame, for yeah, five he seconds. By he was in The Last Samurai, which is why he probably gets these roles constantly. Right, right. And then he's now Scorpion, and it works. That's awesome. Yeah. And then, like, the guy who plays Sub-Zero is from The Raid, which is just perfect casting, because that means he can actually do the scenes. <laughs> and they do crazy shit. But, yeah, it just looked... Over the top and silly in the best way. I mean, they end the they end the trailer with Kano, who Kano in the original games wasn't Australian. It wasn't oh, until yeah. the first film where they just made him go crikey. Yeah, and he just pulls out a heart and goes fucking beauty, and it's like, <laughs> oh my god, this film is just because I was worried because it was like this film has been in development forever, yeah. and like and since the two films because they made a film in '95 which is just wonderful in its own way, both bad and good. And then the sequel is awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's so bad it's good in the best way. And then, like, after that, there were no films. There was a machinima series <laughs> that, that lasted for a bit with Michael J. White and a couple other actors. And then there was the games. And then once the games became more prominent, I guess Warner Brothers is like, maybe we could do another film. Yeah. <laughs> and it works. And... Yeah. Well, and the games have, I think, gotten a boost from, you know, because they've leaned out into incorporating other properties and stuff, you know. Yes. I mean, they did, isn't it the same developers or maybe the same publishers who did, like, the Injustice games? Those yes. are very Mortal Kombat-esque yes. fighters. And then now in, mm-hmm. you know, MK11, they've got superheroes in there and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think what happened was either... Ninja Turtles and yes. Terminator oh, and there's so much fun. Rambo. Uh, NetherRealm Studios, I think, was either before or after Mortal Kombat versus DC, which is not a good game, really. Right. Uh, oh, yeah, that's what started it. Warner Brothers... DC. I think Warner Brothers bought the studio. Yeah. And okay. then it became yeah. like a Warner Brothers kind of media thing. Yeah. And then they made Injustice, which is great. Both those games slap and then Mortal Kombat's been great so far and... Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that does. It's part of the HBO Max same day thing. I haven't actually seen if there's any reports on how Judas and the Black Messiah did on its weekend. Oh, or it's like it's just like it's numbers wise, right? Right. Because this month it's been it's been that isn't. (laughs) I feel so bad saying this. Aren't the two big HBO Max releases this month Judas and the Black Messiah and Tom, Tom and, and Jerry? Jerry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tom and Jerry is what uh, this. Yeah, it was this weekend. It's this gonna, week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we're filming. Because we're, filming, we're filming live. Yeah, we're filming it came live. Came out yesterday. Yeah, we're recording live, <laughs> and it came out yesterday. And let's just get right into it. Hello, everyone. I'm Logan Sowash, and I'm Andy Carr, and this is Odd Trilogies with Logan and Andy. And on Odd Trilogies with Logan and Andy, we take a trillo trillo. <laughs> <laughs> We take a trio of films, and we go film by film to talk about the good, 
the bad, and the weird surrounding them. And today we are finally finishing a trilogy that was supposed to come out last week. Yeah. But due to snow and a lot of complications because of said snow, we couldn't film it then. But we're doing it film now. It. Yeah, film we, it. We have, yep. We're going to keep saying it. I'm just used to saying we're gonna it We're going to say it until we're actually filming it. Yep. Couldn't record it last <laughs> weekend. But this weekend we're finally finishing and talking about truly one of the best endings to a trilogy you could probably have that's yeah. this good of a trilogy. And that is 2013's Before Midnight. Yep. The capper of Richard Linklater's Before Trilogy. <laughs> Talked about the first two films last week before yep. sunrise, before sunset. Yes. Uh, nine years between each film, yes. and uh, yeah, we're just we're we're in the kind of the the you know ugly middle or later chapter of Celine and Jesse's relationship. Yes. So um, the best thing I think I've read describing what this film is like is for the Criterion Collection for the Before trilogy. There is a Forward written by Dennis Lim, who is a uh, he's he's done some uh, he's done some like articles for the New York Times. He's also written a David Lynch biography, which I oh, definitely okay. should jump into yeah, and yeah, read because yeah. I love Lynch. But um, he wrote a forward for all three films, and it comes with a little pamphlet, and you read it. And his description, I think, is the best description for Before Midnight. And I'm going to be paraphrasing off the cuff, but it's very much like Before Sunrise and Before Sunset are phenomenal romance films and he, they could not do the same thing with before midnight because mm-hmm. it just it's a vastly different thing now because they're together right 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 so link later and co did something that is very rare when it comes to romances and they did the marriage movie and i think that's the yeah. best way to describe yeah. this film is this is a marriage movie it's yeah, still romantic I, in places yeah in, but in this spots, is yeah or in kind of a more indirect yeah. way i mean i remember I, I said to you after we watched it that you know, the first two feel a lot more like romance movies. This yes. feels the most like a movie about love. Mm-hmm. Not so much romance the or the pursuit of love, of love but yeah. like this is what love is like when, you know, yeah, when love, you know, take when yeah. you had time to love, you yeah. know, and, and Lim, dedication. And I think Lim also says in the before, which is really cool, where it's just like, this film is also just a great job. With, I think each film does deal with this, but this one deals with it very heavily is the difference between, like, the um, fantasy romance and, like, realistic romance. Yeah. And, like, this is about a evolving love where it's, like, they are now in their 40s. Mm-hmm. They were in their 20s when they met. They were in their 30s when they finally got together. And now they're in their 40s being together for almost a decade. And this is basically the one night where it almost, like, comes out and they basically recontextualize and reestablish their romance, the good, the bad, and the ugly surrounding it. Mm-hmm. And it is such a phenomenal finale as of right now. Because yeah, they yeah. could do another one. That would be next year. Yes. If they do. And that's, that's also crazy, too. I mean, it's just like, this film should not in any way feel like it could match with the other two because... The happily ever after happened. We got that ending yeah, to yeah. a degree. Before sunset yeah. was very much that magical yeah. sort of ending. And now we're in that part, and like we're like in that weird part, and like into the woods where it's like <laughs> now we see after that. Yeah, yeah. And it's it now the fact that it's like we are now seeing kind of not really uglier. There are some ugly elements to yeah, their yeah. love, but at the same time, they're seeing more of a realistic love because now they are full fledged adults 
with mm-hmm. children, with yeah. jobs got, and schedules. Yeah. They yeah spend mm-hmm. you know not literally but you know yeah. essentially all their time together. They're not going yeah. years without seeing mm-hmm. each other. They're they can, living together. They're yeah. they can't do what they did in Sunrise and Sunset. Yeah. It's like one of the funniest, but also kind of sad moments is like they are walking in Greece, you know, beautiful, beautiful walkway. They're just walking through a field and like Jesse just goes like, how long has it been since we've just walked around and bullshit with one another? <laughs> yeah. And it's, it was so long because that's what happens. And it's, yeah, they have, they are now full fledged adults that they already weren't that in the last film. And they yeah. were in the last film, but now it's. They are full fledged adults with yeah, they have, they have toge- a family. Like together. They're they're running an operation together, yeah. basically. You know, it's they have it's it's almost more they have responsibility to each other than yeah. you know they have excitement about one another or anything yeah. like that, mm-hmm. which is natural. And that's where a lot you know that's where a lot of people that's where most marriages end mm-hmm. up. You know, for sure. And that's that's just so what's so wild Not, too. Although I say marriages, but important detail. They're, not, They're married. not married in this movie. Which is crazy. And it's also... They have five-year-old twins. They have five-year-old twins. Not married. Yes. Doesn't uh, seem like there's any intention to get no. married. And what, that's one of the best moments in the film where I figured that out and I said that to you because the film does not say outright that they're not married. I mean, there's a one point... Well, it basically very clearly implies later in the movie because they have a conversation about yes. it. Yes. They but say, it, but you want to get married? And they're like, nah. Yeah. And but then, yeah, for the mm-hmm. first like two thirds of the movie, yeah, you you picked up on it. There's pretty much only one indication because mm-hmm. during the beginning part, they have a long driving sequence, which is Chef's Kiss, very that well done. Great, yeah. It was beautiful, and it made me just like kind of stressed how like how I was like how many times did they do this? Yeah, how they're many clearly times they drive? actually driving on you know they're actual doing like roads. a twelve to fifteen minute drive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how many times did they drive down this road? But um, in that scene. I mean, she she brings up. Uh, she says, "This is this is usually it's like this is the start. This is when conversations like this. This is the start of people breaking up." Mm-hmm. And I went, "Hold on, are they like talking yeah, she like separation? Yeah. Like separation?" And then if you just look at their, I just looked at their fingers, and it, whether it was meant to be like this or not, and I feel like with Linklater, I feel like visually it, had to it be yeah. intentional. Like there's moments where both their both Jesse's hands and both Celine hands are in frame at times in the car. And neither one has a ring. And yeah. visually it shows, holy shit, they're not even married. Yeah. And it honestly makes perfect sense. Yeah, especially after the end of sense. Sunset. It makes a lot of sense with Celine. Yes. Uh, yes. With her kind of, she's just got all sorts of, you know, insecurities and kind of cynicism about, you know, signing yourself over to somebody. Yeah. And and the, the you know... Well, the there was, feminist defeat that is marriage or, you know, yeah. domesticity. And, and with and, Jesse, it also – but it also makes sense for Jesse too because he is going through still, even after a messy divorce, yeah. the repercussions of a messy divorce. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's like – it's, it's like, well, yeah, there's it changes probably everything. this barrier of like yeah. why would we do that to ourselves, you yeah. know. And, and it's so – astounding to see especially in a in a trilogy in a two prior films that are so beautifully realistic but also very romantic to see this film and have an entire long sequence where they're eating lunch with a bunch of friends 
who they've been kind of living with. They've been living yeah, with. Yeah, they were on yeah. vacation basically at these people's home yes. for six weeks or something. Yeah, it was like a British writer who has like a Greek yeah, kind of like in prob- Greek or yeah. has a house in Greek. He's got like a summer place and they talked via mail mm. and they've been there for six weeks. But they have this conversation about like the fleetiness of like how fleeting love is and how that is okay because the idea of having the one is not only childish but could also be kind of uh, unhealthy. Yeah. It could become an obsession if you're worried about that, yeah. about the forever. And it's like so wild to think after the first two where it's like, you know, they they run into each other on accident on a train because they're just going the same place. And, you know, in the second one, obviously Celine looked for him. Yeah. But at the same time, the fact that they ended up together was not supposed to happen. Right. It just just happened out of just having enough time together to finally they admit to one another that they want to do this. Yeah. And then in Before Midnight, it's this idea of, like, they're just, like, constantly having friends who are just talking, like... And it's not even just friends of the same age. You have friends... Yeah, you have a couple that's, like, probably in their late teens, early 20s. Yeah, you have, you have a couple you that's, go. like, I think in, like, university age. I think yeah, they're talking yeah. like they're in college, yeah. per se. They have friends who are middle-aged in their age group. And then the guy who runs and lives at that Greek kind of He's summer He's probably place. in his 60s, 70s. Yeah, and yeah. lost his wife. Yeah. And even then, he talks about how, like... He says, like, he she always had her goals in mind, and I always had my goals in mind, yeah. and we never made that selfish. We just knew that we had to keep each other like we had to worry about ourselves and then we worked together as a couple and made that work and like watching that that is like so fascinating to have honestly a very progressive look on love especially for an american film yeah because it's like you feel like and i think that's one of the reasons why it's so rare to see sequels of romances because at a certain point yeah because everybody wants to to happen yeah everybody wants to cut it off before you have to yeah, deal with the realities and the difficulties for of, sure of love and, and relationships, and, and it's easier to just kind of tie it off with a bow. And usually, if they do the difficulties, it is almost the entirety of the film, which is which is yeah. different with this too. Is like this film has a nice balance of yeah getting hints at the difficulties. Well, and but it's also, also you have you know two movies before that. Yeah. Of oh, yeah. Great stuff. Yes. The romantic stuff to oh, where it's sure. like okay, now we can deal with the. The yeah. difficulty. Well, and in so many romance films as well, it's like, yeah, they'll bring up some of those those hard truths about life and love, but it's like, mm-hmm. that's like, you know, the middle 30 minutes of the movie, and then yeah. they fix it by the end, and, yes. you know, it's just kind of one and done. Yeah, to me, I would say, and I, it doesn't, it's not a one-to-one, but to me, I feel like first act is the airport, drive back to the villa, second act is the lunch, and then the transition from second to third act is the walk into the Greek kind of yeah, village. Yeah. And then the third act, the finale is the hotel, the hotel fight. Yeah. And because it, it, it feels, because they're all like three separate sections with great moments in the middle. Right. Oh, or the great moments in between each of those. But like those are like the two big moments. Especially looking back, because like in the first, again, similar to Sunrise and Sunset, in that first kind of like moment where they're in the car together talking it brings up the the seeds of what will ultimately come later, the start of the fight. Yeah. Which is like, it involves Jesse's son from his previous marriage. Mm-hmm. And the belief that, like, he is now at a point where he realizes that he has not been the father that he wanted to be. 
because he took the risk after sunset. Yeah. And now he's starting to think, realize that like it is like things are different now than he wanted it to be, and he doesn't know how to process that. Yeah. And Celine assumes that is ultimately like him trying to secretly say he wants to move back to the States. Yeah. He when wants she to. doesn't want to, especially when she's gotten a job offer for her basically her dream job. Right. And that is the starting of the seeds that will ultimately become <laughs> yeah. a very rough fight. <laughs> well, and it's, yeah, it's also fascinating because it's like the, you know, I remember we were we were saying with the after before sunset, we were both like, okay, so he's he's going with Celine. What's he gonna do about his kid that mm-hmm. he's talked about this whole movie and we haven't seen? Mm-hmm. Are, are they gonna brush that under the rug and he's gonna start a new family? And then, sure enough. The first scene in Before Midnight is him and his kid at the airport. And then the whole movie is kind of revolving around the fact that he has a kid with, you know, Mm -hmm. another woman, an ex-wife. Yeah. And it's one of those those things where in Sunset, it makes perfect sense. It was like separation was going to happen. Divorce was going to happen. But now what's complicated things is the fact that. He is married to, or he is with somebody who is not American and is living across the ocean. Yeah, she's. They're living in. I think they're now living in Paris. They live in Paris. Yeah, they lived in New York for a while. Two years. Yes, and and then they moved back so she could give birth in Paris because she wanted to be with her mother. Because uh, one of the funniest jokes I think is there was like the one time we have a we have sex without a condom I get twins right, right. and it's <laughs> it's very funny but at the same time like sunset and how fucking good sunset is with like the kind of the catching up process of it all this stuff feels very fluid in the conversation oh yeah it doesn't feel like they're forcing like okay this is the history between 2004 and 2013 it right. very much is like this comes into play because they haven't really talked about it and the context is necessary for them to really kind of make it clear yeah. why this fight is happening about the specific thing and well, yeah i feel like so many movies about romance or relationships are like you know there's some weird inciting incident in the first or second act where it's like oh one person's hiding information from the other or yes. they're, they're doing something that yes. the other person sees out of context and immediately assumes the worst and then mm-hmm. they don't talk about it and then it comes to a head and they fight mm-hmm. and the whole movie you're sitting there thinking why don't you just talk to each other yeah like just tell tell each other everything that just happened and you'll be fine and you know this movie is so i mean it's it's frustrating in other ways in a good way in an effective yeah. way but, like, it's just refreshing that it's, like, the, the kind of conflict between them comes out of things built into their character for mm-hmm. two and a half movies. Yeah. And you can see it set up and you can see it come to a head and it just – it makes sense because, you know, they are talking. They're constantly talking to each other. That's yes. the whole movie. That's the yeah. whole trilogy is them talking to each other. So it's, like, you know it's not necessarily for a lack of, you know – time spent together or communication or mm-hmm. philosophizing together talking about their you know relationship and their existence and all that mm-hmm. it's like you know this is just they've yeah they've hit a crossroads where their their insecurities are being reflected on one another they're projecting and they're you know they're afraid and they're it's just so nice seeing them seeing yeah. you know a conflict like that where they actually are talking the whole time yeah. and they're actually being open and communicative and the yeah. the conflict between them is you know in seated deep 
yes, within their is, their psyche and their their development. It is the most authentic ex or like not really excuse, but explanation as to why this fight is happening about everything in the past nine years almost is because ever since they've been together, things have moved so fast and they're yeah. both so busy and have a schedule where it's like she drops off the kids, she goes and works, he picks up the kids. And she comes back. Like, they have a schedule that has honestly been their schedule for so long that, like, the one time we have a, they have a moment to be romantic and together, they just have so much baggage. Yeah. They have it unpacked because they haven't had the time yeah, to. Yeah, and they finally, now yeah. that they're supposed to be vacationing and relaxing, they finally yeah. have this time to kind of reflect and think and yeah. talk. And while Jesse can kind of push that baggage back yeah. a little bit longer, Celine just can't. And then well, just personally, I mean, it makes makes sense personality yeah. wise for her. Well and she she bottles it up just as much or if if not more than Jesse does, but she's mm-hmm. not equipped to do that nearly as much as Jesse is. You know, no. Jesse can kind of just let it sit back there and fester in his brain forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Celine does the same thing almost to the greater degree, but she she can't handle it, understandably so. Yeah, and sometimes she can't admit that she does the same thing. Right, right. It's one right. of those things where it's just like she like she constantly says that like he's the one who complains and doesn't do anything, and, just like, and she's like, and he's like, you complain and bitch just as much, yeah, he's, yeah. about other things too, and it's you like you work... spend literally all your time complaining. It's you... <laughs> like, and she's like, I was like, I'm with the kids all the time too. I'm the one who's at home while you're at work. Yeah, <laughs> and it's this, it's like all these things where it's like, it is all from each other's perspectives, and they've never talked about what the other person sees in that kind yeah. of context. And so, like, all this is coming out. They've, yeah, they've been so stuck in their own responsibilities and yeah. their own routine that they kind of, you know, they forget that they're both suffering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, in Sunset, there's that beautiful moment in the van where it's like, and it's it's beautiful in a way because it feels so genuine. And it's just like where Celine believes because of Sunrise that she'll never be able to live with any other man because she feels like because of that night, things seem to have gotten worse. And so she's like, there's no way I could be married. There's no way I could be with somebody else. I feel like I'm just doomed for a life of being alone. Yeah. And then Jesse is just like, no, I his whole thing is like he wants to be with her. He's never not thought about her because he was the one who showed up after sunrise when they said they meet again he's the one who wrote the books yeah about (laughs) her yeah wrote the sequel wrote sunset canonically in the in the world like obviously he loves her to death but to her it freaks her out that like they're now at this point where she didn't expect to have children yeah she i don't think she expected to be in this this situation nor did jesse really expect this to be as difficult yeah, like he did. Like they, yeah. and it truly makes sense. That like at the end of Sunset, I did have this vibe of like, this is beautiful. I'm glad it's ending this way. But man, before midnight's really going to dive deep into what realistic stuff happened after this, mm-hmm. where it's like it changes everything because he has to. I mean, he has to move from New York to Paris. She ultimately becomes a mother when she's a very much a busy body herself oh yeah yeah and that's that's very i mean i didn't even think about this and it's hilarious too where um there is a point in before and before sunset where uh when she first meets jesse 
um, they're not really talking about each other's uh, kind of like relationship status. Like that hasn't come up yet. Like Celine read in a magazine that he was married, so she knows, but she's not ready to kind of admit that to him in the conversation. <laughs> yeah. And while they're talking, Jesse just makes a joke like, "Oh, you're not you're not married with kids," and just like hanging out. And she's like, "Oh, I have kids. They're back in the van. We just left them behind." <laughs> then in before midnight, the first time you see Celine, she's hanging out with the two kids at the van. <laughs> right, right. And so it's like it's it's a funny little nod, whether it was meant to be that or not. Sure. I think it's hilarious to see that, but also. Honestly, like, I mean, they're both very interesting people. I mean, they're both phenomenally performed by Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy. Uh. Like, it's like, again, it's like almost 20 years later, and they still are just as good as they were. But they're now more seasoned, and now their their life is different because Delpy, and I think the reason why they did Midnight was because Linklater, Delpy, and Hawke all have kids now. Yeah, and it kind of it changes your perspective to have children. <laughs> and when they had when they did before sunset, I don't think they all had children yet. But after that, they all have kids, and it's like, oh my god, we could definitely do a film yeah. about how kids completely kind of not really uproot love, but change the context and definition. Yeah, they change the way you're able to express mm-hmm. it and the the time you have to yeah. to spend expressing it. Yeah, know? and I think with Celine, she's so interesting because in the first two films she's very much pushed as this kind of bold feminist woman who is like very independent believes in love but also loves her freedom as well she wants somebody to be with but at the same time she wants the freedom to keep growing as a person and then she's at a point in her life where she is now the nurturer which is like you know almost kind of put upon her by society just like standards yeah, in terms like, of like, oh, well, women. The, the woman yeah. is supposed to become a mom. And yeah, take stay care at of home. The kids yeah, and clean. Yeah, and here she is constantly at conflict with herself because she doesn't want to be that, but she constantly gives in to those sexist stereotypes at times. Yeah, because and it, I think that just like clashes with her brain and almost makes her go a bit crazy. Right, right. Whereas, well, and it's you know it's a difficult thing to separate. You know, just because there is a stereotype doesn't mean that you know, doing a thing that happens to be a part of that stereotype mm-hmm. is inherently, you know, a, a defeat or yeah. a loss or a, you know, a tragedy. But like there's um, the, there's a moment in the hotel fight where like she at one point like says that he, he can't do any of these things and whatnot. Cause he's like, he's like, cause you're the man, I'm the nurturer. Yeah. And then later on she's like, it's like very sexist of you to think that, you know, I'd uproot my life. And I was like, well, he's not even saying that. Yeah, he didn't. And you were really... kind of and you kind of implied a sexist angle too with the whole him being the dad. And it's like yeah. when he's like, Are you kidding me? I'm with him probably more than I am with you yeah. <laughs> because I'm home all the time. Right. And it's it's just so interesting. Celine, like just in general, just seeing her evolve into someone so believable and so conflicted with her own life and probably believes that that conflict is because of Jesse because that's just the easiest point to go back to. Yeah. I mean, at one point, Jesse even says, like, you know, my, my life got so much more complicated and kind of got fucked up when we got together at the end of Sunset, basically. Right. And he wasn't saying that it was a mistake. But he was just stating that, like, ever since then, things have become more complicated than I mm-hmm. could have imagined. Yeah. And it's just, like, very much so where it's, like, neither of them regret being together, but they can't not admit that things have changed. 
Yeah. Because that's what happens when you're together for 10 years (laughs) after going 10 years not seeing one another. Yeah. Like, it's just so fluid. It's authentic. It's so much fun to a degree. I mean, the hotel scene, that is, it is, and I... I cannot express it enough. I understand why some people might see this film as the weakest one, or at least their least favorite, because yeah. of how it very it's, much... Yeah, it's so much is, less about the romance and the what could be, what yeah. should be, and more about, like, mm-hmm. well, this is how it happens a lot of times. Yeah. And, like, that could be a real punch in the gut, I think, mm-hmm. to a lot of people. And it is. I mean, it's an emotional yeah. ride of... That fight's a roller coaster. Oh my god, um, yeah. And it's it's a roller coaster that lasts for 30 minutes? Is it really that long? I don't know, but it doesn't it, it feel it, long? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a long and elaborate scene where they're moving from room to room. I, and I swear they get to the hotel at least at the hour mark or a little bit after. Okay. And this film is like a like hundred plus. Yeah, it's like an hour plus minutes. Or a hundred plus minutes. Yeah. And, um... It would just make the most sense. Yeah, yeah. Because that's where, like, because, like, honestly, before midnight in general, like, all the way up to that point, it's just building to that fight. Yeah. Like, and before sunset, where before sunset, now, looking back, does feel like it is building to the taxi scene, where they're both just like, I just gotta be honest with you, like, shit just has been so weird and has not gone the way I've wanted since Mm -hmm. that night, and I don't know if it's because of that night's fault, but I can't not think about it, especially after reading your fucking book about that (laughs) night. And it's like in before midnight, it gets even more enhanced. Like the whole part where she's like, "And you got to leave me and my fucking kids out of the next one." She says it's her kids, not their kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's like she is so sick of that of being in those books, even though he makes it clear that it's like I don't say that it's you. It's like it's one of those things where it's like he's writing his life into those books, yeah. and it's not really he's he. I think he knows. That it is going to be a bit tense when it comes yeah. to those books. It's like people are going to always assume well, there's that's that, her. Yeah, there's that line where she's basically, yeah, um, you know, kind of a how dare you for using my life in your book. And he's like, honey, you married a writer. Like, Oh, my God. It was. <laughs> or you, you're dating a writer. Yeah. Even. I was like, yeah, you're, you're, you're with a writer. It's yeah, like, it's it's like what, did you, what did you think was going to happen? Yeah. And I mean, it's like. Especially after I wrote the first book. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's interesting, too, that, like, in the movie, I mean, in the movie, canonically, like, he writes three books. First two books are Before Sunrise and Before Sunset from his perspective. His third book is entirely fictional, his own perspective. And that's considered his weakest book. Yeah. It's by a, most there's critics. a conversation earlier where he's talking to the people that they're staying yeah. with and they're all they're just kind of like i'm not sure i really get it yeah <laughs> and it's like it's too long it's yeah boring. because like his his ideas that he wants to do in classic link later even hawk fashion is these are the ideas when he says these ideas out loud they sound so they sound there's pretension yeah, to it yeah. there's a bit to it but they're I, it, heady and they're yes. weird and it's like Cause it's, how far can i stretch the human condition yeah because because in, in sunset he said his his follow-up was going to be an idea of a entire book comprised of the same timeline as a pop song yeah where it's like a man hears a pop song while he's with his daughter and then he gets like basically and like mentally sucked back to like when he was like a kid in the 60s or 70s so it's like one of those things where it's like that is that is an idea that like sounds very link latery because (laughs) the man is known at this point to make i don't know how many films that come that take place in a day like there's these three films there's um 
uh, Dazed Confused. Like, yeah. He very much loves the time constraint. Right. Well, and then he's and, got the opposite end of the spectrum with Boyhood. Where yes. <laughs> I mean, a movie yeah. over 12 years. And... Yeah. And it's like he's he's got – Linklater obviously has an obsession or at least an interest in how time changes Yeah, things. how time changes your life and yeah. your perspective. And how almost like the mind versus time can sometimes change your perception of it because you're just like in your own zone or just whatnot. Yeah. And Hawks Jesse very much has that vibe to him. And when he's talking about his new, his, his fourth idea for the novel, it sounds interesting enough, but again... <laughs> it's Yeah, it's, it's a kind of an overly complex and... Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, idea. I'd have to read the final product. Because, <laughs> like, his friend... I yeah, can't it's remember. the concept of it's a bunch of people basically put in a room together who have all different kinds of, you know, mental like disorder like neurological disorders or deficiencies like one woman has this this the condition where she thinks every single moment is deja vu she feels like she's experienced everything before and then there's there's a guy who you know can't remember anything and there's a guy who remembers everything remembers remembers every single face photographic memory basically and not only is he trying to do that in that novel but he's also trying to do that well, jumping timelines, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, jumping yeah. time periods and whatnot. And it's right. like you're hearing this and you go, I just don't, I really hope you don't write this into a novel because I feel like that's just going to be the final nail in the coffin. Because yeah. like in Sunset, the reason why I think, I mean, the reason why Celine is very much has some kind of stress and anger towards Jesse is because she reads that book and his perception of her, it does not match up with how she sees herself Yeah, and feels like, you know, I... I, I don't like how I don't see myself in that romantic, like the, that yeah, romantic well, part, young yeah, woman you met is, in the train. I, part of it is I think she, yeah, she feels like yeah. she doesn't, like like his view of her is ridiculous in the sense that she couldn't possibly be the person that he thinks she is, you know? Yeah. He, like she couldn't live up to that. It's not that easy. It's not mm-hmm. that simple. Yeah. It can't be that, you know, beautiful or fascinating mm-hmm. or clever yeah. or whatever and, and he also, it's it also kind of a refusal, you know. It's, yeah. it's it, everybody hates themselves, kind of. Yes, way. and Celine is very like, everybody's much like, their own biggest critic. Yes, and, and then in that, and Jesse then, just sees her as amazing. Yeah, and then in the Sunset Book, which I love, the, his version of the Before Sunrise is called This Time, and Before Sunset, his version of that is called That, that Time. time. Um, and doesn't he say like he remembers it as this time is when we met, and that time paid for the apartment. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, yeah, it makes sense. And also it's like there's there's little hints where it's like he writes the ending of that time as like after Before Sunset Ends, they had like a sex session that lasted days. Oh, yeah, just and it's very much nonstop Yeah, sex. like they blacked out the windows or something <laughs> yeah. like that. And it's like... Whether that's real or not, you can definitely see with how Jesse is comedically, like, how he could see that very romantic, kind of like, this would work in the book. Like, they'd love yeah, this. Yeah. But when Celine talks about it, she talks about it so icy. Yeah. So very straightforward. Yeah, like, well, and almost with an intent to, like, downplay it. Maybe, yeah. honestly, in contrast to Jesse's tendency to yeah. overstate it. Because I will say, like, I think both Celine and Jesse, to my opinion, like, in my perspective, because, again, what's so great about the hotel fight is I feel like you can get 20 people in the room and watch that fight and all have different perspectives on who's right yeah, in this yeah. conversation. Do you think this actually happened or do you think this is just, like, her own jealousy or just, like, her own insecurities? Right. But to me, in my opinion, the worst thing that Jesse does in terms of Celine 
is make her sign the books because she is obviously yeah, uncomfortable yeah. being associated with those books when she is doing so much to try to dissociate herself from, I believe her name in the book is Madeline. Madeline, Because yeah. he changes the names for obvious reasons. But, like, when they go to the hotel to have, like, a, a beautiful romantic night that, spoiler alert, doesn't end beautiful and romantic like that. Yeah, the, um, there's a hotel, the hotel clerk. clerk yeah. yeah, she has she has both the books in Greek and is like, oh, can you sign it too? And she, Celine just gets immediately uncomfortable. She's like, well, I'm not going to sign yeah. something I didn't write. Yeah. And, and it's like, and he, she like, doesn't. Please, would you? He yeah. basically gets begged to do it. And yeah. then and he, she, he forces Jesse's her to do it. Like, just, yeah. just do it. It'll be fine. It's fine. Yeah, she'll she'll do it. So he yeah. says, which is like the one yeah. that's like, oh my God, you're going to get your ass chewed out for yeah. doing that. But she'll, she'll be happy to do it, is what yeah. he says. Because like, obviously he's doing that because. To, yes. a, to a degree, his American sensibilities is like, this is very awkward. I want this, yeah, let's I want this conversation to be done. So let's just bullshit it and just give her what she wants. Well, as with Celine, I feel like, I mean, her Parisian it feels background. Dishonest. Yeah, it, it feels, feels, it feels yeah. very much like almost like uh, betraying herself. And, right. Like well, signing that. Yeah, for and, all the, yeah, the resentment yeah. in a way that she holds for that version yeah. of herself in Jesse's books. It's like, okay, now I'm signing I'm signing it as though that's actually me, and I don't believe that that's me. Yeah. And I honestly think you could have someone who watches that scene and goes, why don't you just sign the damn books and get it over with? Like, it's <laughs> yeah. it's so... It is I mean, a small thing. Yeah. But it's, you know, I feel like it means the, a lot to her. What makes this one so much, you so unique compared to Sunrise and Sunset is like, I think with Sunrise and Sunset, there are little moments where you can interpret in your own way, but I feel like... For the most part, both those films are very much clearly giving you what everyone is seeing at the same time. Right. Where it's like the romance. Everything is like everyone's – I was like, oh, you're seeing that too? Okay, good. We're all on the same page. Yeah, well, it's pretty midnight, clear cut yeah. what's trying to be communicated. And, yeah. yeah. And Midnight is giving you so many different interpretations where it's like as soon as both of them basically say like I – like she's like I accuse you of sleeping with somebody else and yeah. you never telling me. And he's like, well, what about your ex-boyfriend that you went to that yeah, one? T-? Like yeah, they yeah. were, they're basically both going like, let's, you know, let's, if you're trying to unpack all the dirty laundry, <laughs> I guess I'll throw some of yours back if you're right, throwing mine. Right. And they never answer who's, who's, if they're, if they're. <laughs> Neither one yeah. answers the question of whether or not they cheated yeah. on each other. And, and it's honestly, you know, you would think you'd, you'd see a scene like that where they both dodge the question and you come away, you would think, oh yeah, they both totally did it. Yeah. But it's also like. It really feels like they don't want to dignify that the other thinks that they actually yeah. did that. Yeah, like I, you know? it's it's very much you could have a good excuse that like through the film there are moments where Celine is testing Jesse, yeah. in, a, in a game that he can't win. Well, and he keeps like, telling her like, "Don't yeah. do that. I'm not yeah. answering. I don't that. like That's, that. I don't. Yeah, it's it's crap. Yeah. It's a yeah. lose lose. And when he even when he answers some of her questions at times where she's like. Yeah, oh my god, are we, gonna, are we going to be together for 56 more years? And he's like, yeah, I, th- I think so. And she's like, no, you're lying. Stop it. Yeah, like, he's like, not getting the answer. She never likes his answer. Yeah. So when she's asking this question, like, did you sleep with that bookstore owner from, like, years ago? Yeah. He just goes like, if no, you're, not, He's basically says, if you're asking if I'm committed, you yeah. know, then she, to you, her, she's like, I'm not asking that. But to him, he's yeah. like, well, that's why you're asking, right? Yeah. Like, like you're you, asking because you want to know if yeah, I actually love you. You were you I'm... were offending me by even <laughs> suggesting that I. I think he basically says to a point. He's like, if you think I have any extra time between loving you, loving the girls, loving Henry, 
and doing like writing, yeah. then you are wrong. I don't have any extra time and you are not paying attention. Yeah. And it's like at that point you can have people going like, oh, he's just dodging the question. Right. But also people are like, no, he didn't do it. <laughs> and it's like that's the point. It's like it's it like doesn't the, matter what the answer is it did, yeah. because it's the intention that both of them are throwing at one another yeah. is is what really hits the most. Yeah. Where it's like, and the fact that, yeah, they both <laughs> throw that at each other and they both – avoid answering for you know whatever reason yeah. you want to extrapolate from yeah. that it it's clear they're on a level playing field with that it's like they both like, yeah. don't want to be accused of not putting everything into this <laughs> because then it's like well what was the point because like <laughs> the whole conversation just ends when he goes like you don't think i haven't thought about your parisian ass going like and yeah, blowing your, your ex-boyfriend ass. yeah he's basically just trying to throw the same bullshit back at yeah. her and then she freaks out because she, she it seemed like she didn't even th- process that he would even think right, about that. Right. And it's because, again, it doesn't matter about the answer. It's all about how they're weaponizing. Yeah, they're these both just trying things. to pull things out of left field and throw yeah. them at each other, catch each other, you know, off mm-hmm. guard. And it, it's one of those things. I mean, I think it's easy for anybody to find themselves in any argument, no matter how serious or trivial. Yeah. You know, more concerned with winning or with mm-hmm. getting the other person to shut up. Yeah. Than they are with like actually finding the root of the problem and solving it. Absolutely, and, and I, that's kind of what's happening there. Is they're both just so fed up and frustrated that they're just yeah. just taking you know blows below the belt yeah. at each other. And it's thank I I can't express thank God they toe the line between toxicity. And just like yeah, it's, it's 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 not. I don't think it's ever really toxic. I don't think I it think is it's, either. You know, it's it's people being flawed, having egos, you know, having yeah. insecurities, and lashing out. And I mean, yeah. everybody does that. You know, it's not necessarily ideal. It's not how you want to have mm-hmm. a conversation about yeah. your relationship. And I don't think either of them wants it to be like that. No, I think it's you know, but they're it's never like oh, this is abusive, or we're you know. Mm-hmm habitually gaslighting each other. I think the reason why it works so well is because by the end of this conversation, neither one of them are trying to really win. Yeah. They're just trying to get every point across that they can, which is why I think, that's why I think it's so, it's not really toxic at all. Because at a certain point, they're just like, look, if you're going to throw this shit at me, I'll just throw this back at you. And understand that like, I am not saying I'm a saint. So quit pretending you are. And it's basically they both have moments where they're throwing that back at one another. And I think that's one of the reasons why that works in this film. But when it comes to like something like Malcolm and Marie, which I do think is a great film, but is really pushing the toxicity because there are moments in that film where it very much is like, I am going to weaponize this, and I am going to throw this. I'm going to hold it over you I'm going to pro- – this is going to be like the one – this is going to like hit you in the face, and I'm going to win this argument. Yeah. And that's like the entire film. And I think it's done well enough, but it can be so tiring. Yeah, yeah. And I think in Before Midnight, it is very, very good that they do not – do the whole film like that. Yeah. Oh, like, right. Like, I think for both you and me, it was very clear as soon as that hotel room, op- like, that door opened and they walked in, I was like, it's coming soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, everything's blowing up. Yeah. Like, it's very much... This is going too well. They're not yeah. going to have sex. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's similar to, like, 
oh my god, it's like it's very much similar to like Marriage Story too. Yeah, yeah. When she shows up at his apartment and it's like, oh no. Yeah, they they meet kind of on level terms and yeah. it seems civil and it's just like this can't last. And, and then it ends with, I hope you were dead. Yeah. <laughs> it's, Every day I wake up and I hope you're dead. And it's like punches the wall. Yikes. Yeah. And before midnight, thankfully, never gets to that point. Yeah. And then Well, it, and I mean I think that's the point, you know, marriage story. Yeah. Those people needed Yeah. to separate, you know, as much as yes. they cared about each other, they couldn't hack mm-hmm. it, you know, or they shouldn't hack yeah. it or whatever. This is a movie about, you know, as difficult as it gets. Yeah. They will or they can mm-hmm. work through it. I think this is the issue with Malcolm Marie too is like those are two characters that have so many flaws yeah. that then that have honestly been penting things up for so long that like it is one it is one moment in that film that constantly it's like that brings up nearly two hours of like <laughs> fighting that little bit of respite right. then like I'm gonna fight again and then by the end of that film you're like should they even be together? Right. <laughs> I don't know. And which is like, thank God this is not how Before Midnight is. Yeah, I don't think I, mean, I ever like... felt that as nasty as the converse, the argument no, got. Oh, I no, never no, felt no. like these people shouldn't be together. It was like, come on, guys, let's just, let's get past this. The most, I was rooting for him the whole the time. The most realistic, I think, is the most I've felt like I 100% vibe with you right now is like, the first time Celine leaves the hotel room when it's like just a bit of a moment in between the fight, Ethan Hawk just turns around and just falls on he the couch. He just falls on the couch, face plants, yeah. And, and, and just, just laying there. there. She comes back and he still just sits in that position yeah. facing the couch she's while like, she's oh, talking to him. She's like, oh, you think you've won? And it's very clear that he doesn't. <laughs> he's not happy with just what, with what just yeah. happened. Like, he is miserable. Yeah, like, it's he's like, I just don't want to keep doing yeah. this. <laughs> Are you winning, son? Oh, yeah, it's basically, he's just like, I was really worried that, like, she was going to come back in, and he was so tired, he kind of fell asleep a little bit. Yeah, that would just set her off. Yeah, it's like, she'll kill you if you do that, man, they'll do that. (laughs) And it's just, it it can be hard, and I believe it is hard for a lot of people to watch that and be like, oh, no, like, I loved them in Sunrise and Sunset, I don't want to see them fight. But also, if you want to see something that's very authentic, it is giving you that authenticity, yeah. especially with like a relationship that they both see as nearly two decades long. They they yeah. they call Sunrise as like their first time meeting, and almost like in a weird way, like they're spiritual, like they're a spiritual couple. Yeah, where it's like by the time they meet in Sunset, like when they talk about each well, other. They say midnight, before midnight, when would we count? And they say from the first time we had sex, which is eighteen that years. night yeah, yeah, yeah. when they first meet. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I mean, perfect. Yeah. It's like, it makes sense. And it's like, yeah. there's there's this, I mean, it's it's this thing where it's like, and I also think it's very much, which makes it so unique, it is just like different ideologies where it's like you have, right. you have Jesse at a certain point, and it's honestly, I think, one of the best lines where it's like, if you, if you want me to say that I hate certain parts about you, I'm not going to say it because I know you're flawed. I have issues with certain things about you, but you know what? That doesn't matter because I have accepted all of you, yeah. and I am willing to accept all of you. And I just would would accept the. Uh, I would hope you would do the same for me. Where it's right. like he's like, I'm not saying you're perfect. 
you annoy the fuck out of me at yeah, times. He basically you, says, yeah, basically yeah, if like, you want me to give you a laundry list, I could. But what's, I can. But what is this going to yeah, yeah, you're not going to change. Right. Same way I'm not going to change. <laughs> yeah. So why don't we just try to move us, on yeah. together and try to figure out how to basically yeah. adapt this romance. Yeah. It is very much like this is a very long epilogue <laughs> yeah. that just feels perfect for their relationship. Right. To the point where, like, I can genuinely see if they make a, what, before dusk or whatever yeah, they yeah, want to yeah. call it. Before I dawn. Could, yeah, before dawn, I guess. But if like, they're going in order of maybe chronologically, I guess I, I dawn guess, would be the next one. I guess, but, like, I could see them having two teenage daughters and, like, them still together and now that they have more time than not because you know teenagers are angsty they don't want to hang out with their parents right right um they now have to just finally all those ideas that they want for one another do it again and yeah well I, you know they could be yeah kind of empty nest in a sense you know I yeah mean, not that they're college age kids but kind yeah. of yeah now that we have more time together there's yeah, more like, to hash out there's more to enjoy there's more to yeah because, like, with, with Celine, I think she can't get over the hump to a degree of just, like, you were married when we met each other in Sunset. Even though you guys were planning on getting separated yeah. and even divorced, the fact that you were still married, it, to a point, makes me the house wrecker, the home wrecker. And yeah. I will not, and I, and I, and I hate that. All right. And with Jesse, it's like, I was like, well, you made the choice, I made the choice, and we're living with that. Yeah. I mean, one of the, I mean, again... Celine has phenomenal lines. I think when she says at the very end of the fight, I don't think I'm in love with you anymore, yeah. I think hits the most out of everything said. Yeah. And she doesn't say it in a biting way. She doesn't say it with it's a very sh- matter of fact. Yeah, she doesn't say it aggressively. She just says, I just don't think I'm in love with you anymore. Yeah. Yet it hits you like a freight train. Mm-hmm. And you look at Jesse's face like, that's the thing that gets him. Yeah, it's he's like, like everything wait, else. What? He's like, it's like he was willing to take all the punches, but it was that one that did him in. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I can't do this. And I, I got, I have to, I have to talk some sense into you, or at least give you my side because you're not, right. you're not seeing it from my side. And well, I think the interesting thing he does from there is kind of, you know, because she leaves. And then he goes down and finds her at the mm, little, the little about one of the best callbacks patio. I've ever seen. Yeah, and he basically kind of, you know, reverts into young Jesse in a way, or he's kind of playing yes. that game, kind of knowingly mm-hmm. being, oh hey, I'm gonna be a flirty, flirty little goofball with you, and she's yeah. like, not about it, but like she's like, I'm done with your games. Yeah, please. but he's like, this is, this is my game. Like, the, yeah. he's, <laughs> he's like, he's going, I just need you to. Put down your barriers for just a second. Yeah. Because you're not listening to me when I was trying to be on your level. So I'm right. trying to go at a different perspective. Yeah, yeah. And with that comes one of the greatest callbacks <laughs> I've ever, honestly, ever seen in practically any series in general. Is he brings back the time travel narrative, which is the, which in the sunrise, he mm-hmm. basically gets her off the train saying like, Imagine 20 years from now, you're yeah. married to a guy and you hate him and it yeah. was a bad decision. I'm the time traveler <laughs> telling you to not miss this opportunity. Yeah. And it's honestly, I believe, the start of their relationship. Yeah. Where it's like before then, they're just like two, just two, strangers. two attractive strangers talking to one another and getting a little too personal. But 
mean, meaning something to both of them how personal they're getting. Right. But then it's the time traveler narrative in that first, like that little yeah, bit. Yeah, that's what gets her yeah. interested. That's where it really Genuinely starts. Yeah, that's where the love truly starts, I think. And in Midnight, he uses that same narrative again in order to save that love. Yeah, yeah. Where it's just like he's trying to say, like, listen, uh, 80-year-old you sent me back. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, I will have to say you have a great ass at 80. Yeah. And, like, she's – and that's, like, the first thing where she's like, really? Yes. I have a great ass at 80? And he's like, oh, yeah. yeah. Like, come on. And it's like he does this whole thing where he, like – and it's also phenomenal storytelling that he is supposedly reading a letter that is sent back in time. And, and he just is reading off a napkin. A and it's very napkin, clear that it's yeah. at blank. He's just the, improvising. They light it in a way. Whether it's like the oh, They nap- light it so you can see through yes. the napkin. And, and you're like, like, wait, there's nothing on there. And it was like, oh my god, he's he's just off the cuff with this. Yeah. And it gets to a point where she just like is like, I am so sick of this. And he's going... Well, you're not listening, so like I just gotta. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to keep this going and to try and to keep. Yeah. He's like, because I love you unequivocally. It's like it's like I understand. Like they're like I agree with. They didn't seem like to disagree with their friends early on in the film talking about how love is fleeting. Yeah. yeah. And you're not really expecting to stay with us. Like it's it's weird to expect to stay with the same person forever. Right. But at the same time, he's like, for me personally. I don't want to be with anyone but you. I don't want to well, be anyone without the yeah. twins. Like he's like he says, I'm... this. This is real. Yeah. This is you know for however much it sucks at times mm-hmm. and it's difficult and sometimes it's not fun. Yeah. This is this is what it really is. Yeah. And you know that's kind of his last little yeah thing that he can get across he to was, her. He was like saying all of that in the hotel room was little piddly bullshit. Yeah. And she's like, is it though? And he's like. For us, I think it is. Yeah. I think we can move from that and actually grow and build. And you, and it's like from that point forward, you get this wonderful ending that is just as open-ended as it was in Sunrise. And it is just a beautiful ending that feels like, in all honesty, I would be fine without another one. Because oh, yeah. I feel like the callback for The Traveler just feels so satisfying yeah, that, it like, feels very much like, okay, we're drawing this thing to a close. You yeah. Know, we opened it with this, and now we're, we're going to close it. it. Yeah. yeah it's a... And uh, and it'll probably be the end of Next Time, written by Jesse James. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or what was this? Jesse. Well, it's James is his middle name, right? Yeah. Written by Jesse Hawk. Let's just go. <laughs> no, I think his, his real first name is James, but he goes by but Jesse. Jesse. Okay. I don't remember his last name. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's... It is just it ends so perfectly, but it is in this. It is a situation where if I hear in the next few months, you know, before be before dusk, announced, I would. Be, yeah, I would. I would just be. Yeah. Because I, I, at this point, I trust all three of them oh, to yeah. know exactly what they want to do. Right. And even it's like, and they haven't shown me anything that should make me question that whatsoever. <laughs> Like it is very clear that not only are these characters yeah, there's hardly, I mean, there's not a yeah. false false beat in no. the whole trilogy. They all three of them of Delpy, Hawk, and Linklater, all three of them obviously cherish what they have built with this trilogy. Mm-hmm. And so, if they have to make a, make it a quadrilogy, I think I'm it sure would work. they would make it worthwhile. Yeah. Yes, and it's not like they couldn't too, because it's also <laughs> right. a thing where it's like. If you do another one in nine years, and then you do another one after that nine years, you can even get to a point where it's like, 
they are now empty nesters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like, well, what do we do now? And it's like, you could even have, like, because, like, a big thing about Celine is, like, her, her grandmother admitting to her on, like, not her deathbed, but, like, very old age, like, after her grandfather died, that she had been, th- she had sometimes thought about another man living another, like, living with another man and, like, someone else that she was kind of in love with. And that shook Celine to her yeah. core about romance. And honestly, I think is the reason why the time travel narrative works so well for her, mm-hmm. because how it's like, oh shit, like how did he know about that? But he didn't. But it just worked so well. And I just think overall, it is just astounding. And I truly believe this. Out of all the trilogies we've covered so far, and I feel like future trilogies, especially the next two trilogies mm-hmm. we're going to be talking about, um, this is probably the best trilogy. I've seen, yeah. like consistency wise, payoffs wise, character wise. Yeah, I mean directing wise. Like I think it's it's kind of incredible too that like I mean you brought it up last episode. You know, sunrise ends with all these beautiful shots of Vienna as it kind of closes. Sunset opens with, with all the Paris stuff, and then in midnight it is sprinkled in the middle. Yeah. It's like this nice kind of like kind of cohesive almost, yeah. and it is just. It is so crazy that this was not a planned trilogy at all. Right. Like, it was like this thing where it's like they loved the open endedness of Sunrise, but over time they were like, oh, we could do another one. <laughs> and then they do Sunset, and they were content with Sunset. Then they all have kids, and they all yeah. get older, and they go, we could do this again. And it's yeah. like, little, it's like it has always happened, not because a studio head's like, Sunset. Yeah, nobody's asking yeah. really for demographic for says another before <laughs> film would really do well because these films I think at a total have made twenty five million. <laughs> like they haven't made a lot of money, but they're not expensive to make. Right, right. These are just <laughs> this one was made in fifteen days. Yeah, this movie was made in fifteen days. Unheard of. That is insane. And like, there's a great shot in the uh, afterward book for the Criterion Collection. Where it's just a shot of a hotel room where Linklater is on a table on a computer. Hawk is on a floor reading the script they have so far. And Delphi is walking around the hotel <laughs> like in glasses reading the script Pacing. they have so far as well. Yeah, And it's just like, it's so much fun to see them all yeah, together. such a unit. Uh, to the point now where like if I ever watch Boyhood again, I'm just going to watch and go, Oh, that's probably before Sunset Era. Yeah. Oh, that's probably before Midnight Era. Oh, right. those are better films. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Boyhood, for uh, reminding me. Thanks, of Boyhood. The before it might have taken you twelve years to make, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah. Linklater's made better time films. <laughs> but yeah, that is before Midnight. That is yeah. a, and if if the first episode you listen to it and you're like, oh, that I mean, those sound good, but like they, I looked them up and they seem very artsy and whatnot understandable i I, it makes sense honestly a lot of critics initially when it came to sunrise very much said it was like too talky and maybe a little too like i think they even yeah existential and i think at the time people like some critics were like oh this is just a typical gen x film (laughs) and it's like what (laughs) and i think that's hilarious ridiculous gen xers yeah i know just crazy but i mean Honestly, if you're just looking for a romance film that is genuine, not at all like anything else that is very popular yeah. out there. And I'm not saying like it's, you know, as a fucking hipster. I'm just yeah, saying like to be popular. Yeah, not at all. Like I mean, 
listen, you're talking to the guy who loves when Harry met Sally, sleepless in Seattle, and you've got mail. Yeah. Like I, I love rom coms and I love mainstream romance as well. But let's, I mean, let's be honest. When it comes to big budget mainstream romance films, they don't really make big budget mainstream <laughs> romance films. Not even middle budget. Right. Like if you want good romances now, a lot of the times you mainly get it from independent films. Yeah. Or, or, maybe or TV hopefully, or, or hopefully yeah. blockbusters who are yeah. like have writers who genuinely want to build a relationship right. through their. I mean, it's it's very rare to to yeah, see something like distinctive. Yeah, to see something like this and to see it work so well yeah. without it coming off too pretentious. Yeah, I really, off... I really don't think it it lives yeah. up to the the pretentious reputation that it might have had at the starter. That that you know people yeah. unfamiliar with the trilogy might think it is. It's they're very down to earth. Yeah, I mean, it's literally just people talking. In a case we need to love and life, we need to clarify even more that neither of us are pretentious art house guys. Even if we love pretentious art <laughs> yeah, house films, yeah, you like Godzilla. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I yes, like I Marvel do. movies. You like Marvel movies. I like the Fast and Furious <laughs> yeah, movies. That's true. I like animated films. Like it's we love blockbusters too. Our, like we our, just... our next trilogy is the SpongeBob trilogy. It, yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert: the next trilogy just to like kind of cushion the blow between yeah. this and what we're doing after SpongeBob trilogy is the SpongeBob SquarePants trilogy. Yeah, there've been three movies. Yeah, and so and like that's the thing is like. To make it perfectly clear, we both went into these films knowing very little. Yeah. We kind of went in knowing, like, I love Linklater, but I also could admit that Linklater has made some stinkers or made some films oh, that sure. I do not like. And I was like, I'm hoping the best for these, and yeah. I got the best. Yeah. I genuinely got so the best good. across the board. I, and, yeah, I haven't seen, probably haven't even seen a majority of his filmography, but, like... That's the thing, too, is his, like, I... This has to be top tier for him. It I has would to, think it's this gotta has be top to be five for sure. Best work because I think yeah, because like he's done. I mean, we talked he's about in the last so episode. Stuff. He's done so many things that like you probably have seen a Linklater film and just didn't. Rem- I was right, like, right. oh, that is Linklater. Well, yes. Hey, everybody listening, School of Rock. It's a Richard Linklater film. Yeah, we brought that up last time. And also, Where'd You Go, Bernadette is yeah. a Linklater film. So again, yeah, the quality. Yeah, it's all over the place, but. Don't miss these ones. Like oh, yeah. genuinely, like even after Valentine's Day, just, even yeah. though even though this one is very much like a oh, like I'm I'm watching the parents fight at times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like these are just I would call these must see movies for anybody. Like, yeah, this is just you know this is a movie that might it might dredge up some stuff you didn't know how to address with yourself yeah. or with your relationship or years down the line if you're in a relationship, but. It, not that these are, you know, self-help or how-to movies, but, yeah. like, I just think there's so much for any that any person could latch on to. Yeah, I mean... From an emotional standpoint. From, sorry, Mom and Dad, for me saying this on a <laughs> podcast, but, like, the closest thing to Before Midnight, big budget or at least mainstream-wise, is Judd Apatow's This Is 40. And let me be very clear, that film has a fraction of the quality that this yeah. film does. <laughs> Where it's like, that's kind of what it has to compete against. Yeah. Like, that and Marriage Story, yeah. in all honesty, you'll have an easier time watching this and yeah, falling in love with this. disappointing yes. emotionally. Yeah, it's not as rough. Right. Like, yeah, again, it, it feels very much like difficult. it's it's impactful, but it's not going to ruin your day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mary, oh, gosh. Yeah, I was just, 
sobered by a marriage story. Yeah, I think Jake and I, we Jake and I watched that together, and I think afterwards he was like, you just want to get pizza and maybe sit in silence? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, yeah, no, sure. For the rest go. of that day, maybe even the day after, I just felt like lingering, just melancholy. Yeah. I was like, man, that sucks. And what, what happened? <laughs> and what better man to score that film than Danny Elfman? Yeah. The, the guy who's going to score... What was he just announced? Uh, 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 Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange 2, yeah, that's right, yeah. Multitude. Wait, multiverse. Danny Elfman scored what? Um, no. Randy Newman scored Damn Marriage it. Story. Damn it. That was, uh, the, the joke guy who made did sense. Toy Story. Yes. Yeah, thank you. I'm embarrassed. I <laughs> honestly saw Randy Newman in my brain. I oh, saw yeah. You Got a Friend in Me, but I said Danny Elfman because of the Doctor Strange <laughs> 2 news. Well, and similar, um, similar uh, kind of syntax, syllable yeah. structure to their name. Yes, I know they're not the same composers. <laughs> they're both great on their own accord. Yes, very different. Yes, no. But, um, the guy who did "You Got a Friend in Me" did the score for *Marriage Story*, which is phenomenal. Makes perfect sense because I hilariously hear *Toy Story* at times during yeah, yeah. the sad marriage movie. <laughs> Every day I wake up, <laughs> I wish you were dead. <laughs> Adam Driver punches the wall as "You Got a Friend in Me" starts. <laughs> no, no, we're done with that. <laughs> All right, clear cut. Entirety of the Before trilogy is phenomenal. phenomenal. Doesn't matter where we rank it because I think all three films are perfect in their own way. And if you want to find a beautiful romance film to watch by yourself with your significant other, this is you can't get it. You can't go wrong with this. Yep. Like in all honesty, like to me, this is a phenomenal films from start to finish, and it is going to be kind of nice to do a palate cleanser with SpongeBob just to like get us back into. A more like consistent, consistent in terms of like, oh, all these films are not ten out of tens for me, right? Right. Because what we're doing after SpongeBob is gonna be oh. going down the gutter a little bit. <laughs> but we'll uh, yeah. we'll talk about that after the SpongeBob episode. So, thank you so much for listening. Tune in next week on what day right. is it? <laughs> what day? Um, we, it's on next Saturday. Is it it'll the sixth? Be the sixth. Yes. Yeah. So tune in March sixth for the SpongeBob SquarePants trilogy episode. But until then, I'm Logan Sowash. And I'm Andy Carr. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.